Hey folks, just a quick heads up that there's a bit of swearing in this week's show, so if you've got young people in the car with you, for example, you might want to save this one for later. Okay, on with the show. And welcome to the Sunny 16 podcast for another week. This is episode number... <laughs> Claire, any ideas? Oh, I think it's 244. <laughs> 244, we have 244 from Claire. That sounds believable to me. I'm going to take Claire's word at it. Claire, how are you? I'm great, thank you. Um, I'm really well. It's Polaroid week, so yeah, been busy enjoying that. Mm, I've seen that. So is this, I've seen some of the work you've been sharing. Is this all new work you're creating during Polaroid week? Um, today's what, uh, today's was some work I shot a bit a while ago, but yeah, all the other stuff is, is stuff I just made for this week. That's awesome. Yeah. I, um, I'm not great at keeping up with social media, but I did see and commented on a, a fantastic little picture you made <laughs> of you sat, uh, I'm guessing, on, on the beachfront or something with a, with a balloon, with your helium balloon there. <laughs> and clearly in the lovely Anglesey weather, because the balloon was at 90 degrees to you. <laughs> yeah. okay. It was fabulous. Yeah, I had two actually and I lost one. So it was a bit <laughs> <that>. yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I'm glad you at least managed to get the one there. The picture mm. was great. We have a fabulous returning guest joining us this evening. It is an absolute delight to welcome back to the show after far, far too long, the marvellous <laughs> Tina Rowe. Tina, welcome back. Hello. Thank you for such a lovely welcome. <laughs> it's so nice to have you back on again. I, it has been literally years, I think, since we got to speak. I know you <sighs> caught up with Rachel again um, afterwards, but it's been a very long time. Uh, so this is long, long overdue. And it's even long overdue because we'd hoped to catch up last year. You got in touch with me back and we were discussing this. I think it was back in March when we didn't know that the world was about to go completely. Um, because uh, you and the collective that you're part of, the um, E5 collective, uh, had mm. fun plans for June. You're like, oh, do you want to come down and do something with us for that? I'm like, oh, yeah, absolutely. And then something came up, <laughs> like, ah, uh, just that. That went slightly out the window. But um, how have you been, Tina? I've been alarmingly good. I've been very careful, but I've also been living on the yard where my studio is. So it's been really nice that I've had access to the studio all the time that um, the lockdown was um, the lockdown was on. Mm. So I could not work. I wasn't sort of confined to barracks and just sat there counting the window. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. I think it's one of the nice things about using video to talk to people now is that you can, I think you can get a pretty good gauge of how people's last year has been by just being set from I think you're looking fabulous, Tina. So the last year has clearly not taken its toll on you. You are looking, you, you look like somebody who's been put in a position where they can make the most of their creative time and enjoy it. So that's great to hear. <laughs> And I had a really good time, a really good time. That's great. I, I, I'm so pleased to hear that. It feels almost like um, you should feel guilty if you don't say, oh, no, it was an awful year. But, like, nothing's always awful. And if you can make the most of it, that's wonderful. That's great. <laughs> um, so, as I said, you got in touch with me back in March to talk about this um, project that was coming up 
with the exhibition for the E5 collective. So what were you, at that time, what were you working on? What was your plan for the year that you had going forwards? Well, we had a kind of exchange planned with the Experimental Photo Festival that's based in Barcelona. And we were expecting and hoping that they were going to bring an exhibition of experimental work over which we would find venues for around the area as well as um, where the collective is based. And also we were going to run workshops and just do lots of really exciting, messy things in the dark room. It was it was it was a really it was really exciting as a plan. But um, it was not to be. Did, <laughs> did you have anything in particular that you were working on at that time for him? Well, I was hoping to do some work with work uh, with um, liquid emulsion, but mm. also with cyanotypes. But mainly, it was the exchange, meeting other people, working with other people, maybe looking at making collaborations, and and developing or just developing the networks. You know, meeting new people, finding out yeah. about how other people work, sharing mm -hmm. work. Mm. That's what we wanted. That's what we've always really wanted to do. <laughs> Almost every time we have a big plan, then something happens. <laughs> Alex, every time you have a big plan, there's a pandemic. Every time. <laughs> I'm beginning to think that maybe you might be the cause in this situation. Um, it does feel like it's a perfect match because um, the uh, Experimental Photography Festival, um, who we've spoken to in the past, haven't we, Claire? And yes, we're gonna we have. And we're going to speak to them again next week, actually. Yes. Um, they're obviously... Uh, a collection of fantastically um, uh, inspired and creative people doing all sorts of weird stuff. And whenever I see anything going on at the E5 Collective, it's the same thing. You guys are, are uh, always coming up with different things and it feels very much like um, you are all egging each other on to go, oh, I'll try this. Oh, well, you, that, that <laughs> technique's fun, but what if you mix this with that? And... Um, yeah. uh, it does look like so much fun. It's a real, it's a real shame that that didn't happen last year. Um, do you think? Well, I guess a plan for the future, right? We'll get them back over here again. Yeah, we we sincerely hope that it will continue. Mm. Um, as far as I understand it, I think it is going to take place in Barcelona in the autumn. Hopefully, it will. I know that Revelati is planning to be to run in the autumn as well, mm. so I presume so. Um, and I hope that, that that they will be able to come over here, come over to the UK at some point, and, and we would be able to, to realise the plans that we mm. had in the first place. Mm. It, it's just all so up in the air. I mean, like, there's <laughs> stuff like Brexity stuff about people being able to come over because yeah. we were hoping to be able to think about a residency or an exchange of some kind. Mm. So we need to work on those things as well. <laughs> mm. Yeah. That kind of stuff's great because you were saying, Claire, you went and did a workshop with. Uh, remind me again who it is. Guy Patterson. Yeah, I did um, a week course um, on alternative um, processes, and it was really good. I really enjoyed it. Um, we did different, lots of different stuff, and I think liquid emulsion and printing onto fabrics and different things. Yeah, really. Yeah, a great week. I'd love to go back. That was in. Um, that was in. Central St Martins. I don't think it was in the um, your in no. the E five then, so I can't remember. It's going back maybe probably about six years. Six yeah. years. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he 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 runs a sort of suite of courses at Central. St. Yeah, Martins. really good. I'd rec I'd recommend recommend them. Do you and in your in your um, dark room your studio your, um co uh, collective do you will you be running um when things go back to 
whatever normal is. Yeah. Um, will you be running workshops from, from there, Tina? Yeah, yeah we're running. We, we were talking. We had a board meeting last week about what we were hoping to do because mm. um, we're all broke. <laughs> I think of ways of monetizing stuff. And I think a lot of people have got, you know, they've, they've been sitting at home doing a lot of nothing, watching an awful lot of Netflix. Mm. I think they'll be interested in maybe spending yeah. that money and learning a, an unusual skill. Um, so, we're, you know, we're planning to do cyanotype. I'm planning to run a liquid emulsion guide, probably mm. liquid emulsion. I'd quite like to look at calotypes and Van Dykes as well because I want to learn more about doing mm. them. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we, we're hoping to have – we're hoping – well, when we know when – the lockdown is is ended or when the restrictions are mm. sufficient that we can have numbers of people in the dark mm. it'll be easier to set up um it's easier to set up um workshops but guy ran a, a kind of mini course last summer once the lockdown eased where he did a lot of processes that were mainly done outside okay. and so we're, we're planning we're trying to plan workshops that yeah. can for the most part be that a lot of the work could be done using natural light so slow yeah. processes like gum printing and so mm, mm. and then maybe one or two people going into the dark room for a small amount of time and then yeah. yeah 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 and hopefully most people will also be vaccinated by then <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> it, it's that kind of thing that kind of subject material it, it's perfect for going on workshop and stuff like that because um you can you can watch stuff on the internet, but you're not going to get what you need from it at all. And I, I can imagine, I mean, like I said, it's such a shame yeah. that it didn't happen last year because mm -hmm. I can't imagine a more intense dose of creative um, inspiration than that combination of you guys and the experimental photography people. And just like, ah, that would be insane. And then you just walk away thinking, well, I have to quit my job now regardless because I want to spend all of my time <laughs> doing this fun stuff. Um <laughs> You mentioned a couple of times about the liquid emulsion stuff. Now, over the last year, I think that's probably what I've seen most of coming from you. Is that a thing that you've been concentrating on primarily for the last year? Yeah, I got stuck in it. I got <laughs> liquid emulsion. It's really weird. What, I, about two, two or two or maybe three years ago, I was, I've been planning this, I've been planning a portrait project for ages and I thought, maybe I could print on shells. I, I discovered that people mm. mud shells into um, the River Thames. They did hundreds of years ago. And you find these oyster shells that don't mm. belong there. And I thought, well, maybe I was going to do transracially adopted people. So I thought, well, why not print them on these shells? And then I thought, well, I haven't got any portraits of anybody but me. So I'll practice with these negatives I've got. And then I got completely sidetracked with those because I had to work out ways of applying the emulsion that made it stick, that made it take on the kind of, I wanted the particular surface to the emulsion, so I started diluting it with all kinds of nonsense. And I mean, like I use isopropyl, which ran out at the start <laughs> of the bloody of course. pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> typical. I had, I had 500 milliliters of isopropyl. I don't use a lot of it, but then I ran out. And normally I was buying it up in the, the hairdressing shop up the mm. road. And it was costing me two ninety nine for five hundred milliliters. At one point, I spent twenty nine pounds no. on a liter of isopropyl. Oh, no. because I know uh. I <laughs> so I, I did a lot of experimentation with that, yeah. and then I ran out of shells, and yeah. I just started printing on anything. 
<laughs> Ooh, bed sheet, yeah, towel, maybe table, <laughs> bit of metal, and then I sort of landed on these plates. Somebody just left a load of plates in the in the dark in the um in the in the yard, and I was like, Ooh, nobody wants those. Mm. <laughs> but it does. <laughs> I I remember when we when we had you on the first time, Tina. We you talked about these, um, and I think it must have been when you were early on in this project of um, making these prints onto the oyster shells, um, yes. with the idea of them being about other transracially adopted people. Um, yeah. And I said, I know that was very early, and I think it was still. Uh, uh, the figuring it out stage um yeah. and obviously it feels like you've got a lot further with it i, I see regularly see the pictures on instagram that you share and they are you know they're really working they look fantastic um one of the questions i want to ask about that because you've already mentioned about getting the rights dealing with the liquid emotion and getting that the way you want it which seems um enough of a problem but um how are you projecting the image through an enlarger onto I, I guess you can't be contact printing mm. them can you because yeah, it's um, projected. Yeah, yeah. I that seems. I once. The reason I asked is I once made a contact print onto a cyanotype using a negative, and it was a piece of wood. I, I ended up having to um, heat the negative to kind of mould it to the shape of the hairdryer. That's a one-time oh, thing. That's a one-time thing. You get to do that. <laughs> that, that negative is not going back into the folder, but you know. But at the moment I started asking that question, I was like, no, of course she doesn't do it like that. Only an idiot would do that. <laughs> um, did it from the pictures? Did it expand beyond your original idea of it being purely about transracial people? Because it seems um, that it was a more of a cross section of people in the end. In the end, I didn't print one transracial adoptee apart from me. <laughs> 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 I did it. Um, uh, what, what I did do, my brother-in-law gave me a box of negatives that he found in a car boot sale, uh, and I was like, "What the fuck?" And because I look, they were really badly developed. A lot of them, so they were clearly done by an amateur photographer who was just tinkering about. Mm -hmm. The box actually came with um, it came with uh, what's the word? It came with the not the invoice, you know, the bill that you get. When yes, you yeah. So this was from the, the mid-1950s and they'd bought an enlarger, they'd bought Rodinal and all this kind of stuff. And um, you can see him getting better. <laughs> but some of them, you really couldn't see who these pictures were. And they were such an awkward shape of negative that I couldn't be bothered even to put them in the scanner. So mm. I thought, sod it, I'm just going to stick them in the enlarger and print mm. and see what comes up. And... It, I was just lucky that a couple of the first ones were very, very interesting portraits, but they were portraits that were like the pictures that were inside my mother's albums, mm. you know, like mm -hmm. around in the 1950s by their car, having a picnic, grinning at the camera. But there was something really rather nice about the way that they emerged onto these shelves. And, and it, it, it reminded me as well about the fact that they were people. They, they yeah. had people that had families and jobs and mm. dreams and got drunk, started fights. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and just the same as anybody else. And also <laughs> the shells themselves, they, they didn't grow in the Thames. They, they grew right the way down in the estuary. They didn't grow in London. So some people, the same as those people, they picked them up and they carried them to London and sold them. And those people mm. had been eaten and then thrown in. And it was just all these lost people. 
that suddenly sort of came together with the idea of the shells. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's fabulous. I think they're beautiful. They're such beautiful pieces. I I imagine it's quite... Obviously, you haven't had the chance to yet, but when it comes to displaying them, have you figured out how you're going to... When you do that gallery show with them, which has to be coming up, how do you show something that is the size of a literal oyster shell off? Well, I've I've shown them a few times. I've shown them. I've shown them. I've shown them at Analog now in 2019. So mm-hmm. that was in Berlin, and I showed them here twice in London in 2019 as well. And the way I show them is, I just get a lot of the other crap that you can pick up off the <laughs> off the shoreline. <laughs> Used condoms, <laughs> shopping yeah. trolleys. No, not quite like bones. Okay. Shard pottery pipes. Uh-huh. You could, you could come I'm, I'm, I'm a licensed mud. I'm a licensed mudlarker. I'm allowed. <laughs> Hang on, I that's the thing you need a license for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you, you could be taking away something that belongs to the queen, and you don't want to do that. Oh. <laughs> that's my I'm, shopping trolley. <laughs> That's my gold and diamond encrusted shopping trolley. One has that back. Um, no, but you, the, there is a lot of stuff in the Thames that that's, mm. that, that people pull up. You see, there's a there's a really interesting mudlarking group in um, in on on Facebook, and the woman that runs that group wrote a book that's just gone stratospheric, mm-hmm. really famous now. But um, there's all this stuff. So I, I picked up gravel and sand and bones and pottery shards and all mm. sorts. of other evidence it all had to be old it all had to be old the whole condom thing <laughs> <laughs> um and then what i do is and in, in, in the gallery i just put down gravel and then drop these things in i drop shells in with the ones that are printed there are also ones that aren't i turn some over i leave some looking face up and the idea is that people they'll come and what's this pile of crap here mm. and they look and they'll see a face and and uh, I encourage them to pick them up. Then I want people to pick these things up mm. and look at them and see the people and think about the people. Mm. It, it really works. It's it, it's quite lovely to see people engaging with it. You suddenly see something and go, oh god, yeah. it makes me so, it makes me really happy. Yeah, mm. <laughs> uh, it's, yeah, it's good. It's lovely uh, to have an art exhibition that is interactive that you are encouraged to pick up and look at. But I know that. Um, I am a person who really wants to hold everything three inches from their face and look at it. I want it here, and I see it there. And you can't do that in a gallery when you're normally looking at prints. It doesn't, but to be able to really, and also just engage with the physical objects as well. I think that's, I think that's really mm-hmm. nice. They have such a charm to them. Um, Definitely. So do you feel, because you were talking about getting the emotion right on that, is that something that's very particular for the substrate that you're using, are you having to tweak it every time? Because my limited idea of, of a liquid emulsion, which I have never used, but you guys both have a new extensive Tina. In my head, you just have liquid emulsion, you paint it on a thing, you're good to go. Um, but obviously it's not quite that straightforward. You can do that. Um, but... Uh if you mess around with it you can do a few more things with it Mm. so what i do i'm very interested in lacquers i'm very interested in the way that 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 you can build up sheen and build up texture and sort of build a sort of depth to the the actual the, the emulsion itself so i will dilute it quite a lot and i will put on multiple layers it's so boring it is 
it's so fucking warm. And, and I'm in like in the winter, <laughs> bloody dry. And just to make it all the just that little bit more annoying, I add glycerin to it, which slows the drying down even more. Mm. But you can end up with this coating that really does glow, that picks up mm. the mold in different ways. And um, yeah, so you, you can splash it on, sure, and you'll get nice blacks. Or you can do these different layers and then discover that part of your emulsion was fogged and you fucked the whole thing up. And if you've done 10 shells, then you screwed them all up. But um, it's, then you can lift them, though. I've discovered that now. So. Oh, well, just take the whole... Lift the shell. No, lift. Lift oh, lift on some... God, yeah. Sorry, yes, yes. Your other passion. Oh, so, th <laughs> so this is great because when we spoke last time, you did, and in other conversations with people about lift printing, there's this thing of well, good papers for lith are getting harder and harder to come by. So if you're now making your own lith shells, <laughs> that sounds perfect. If there's a really long-winded process that I'm going to grow to hate, then I'll do it. <laughs> See, this, to a certain extent, this this makes... this Because there's been a couple of times on Instagram where I've seen you sharing these things and some random person has just gone... Oh, that's nice. How do you do that? And your response tends to be a lot of hard work and investigation. <laughs> oh, you busted! You caught me. I didn't think anybody actually played it. <laughs> but I get that. Like, I get that when you when you've when you clearly have put a lot of time and energy and effort into exploring and getting into it. You might, I can understand you don't just want to go, oh, yes, here's the A to B to C for you to go out and just do the same thing, especially in photography, a hobby where it is difficult to stand out for your work to stand out, uh, and to, you know, whether it's from content or technique or whatever it is. So, when you found something which is unique to yourself, it, it must be difficult to go, okay, now I'm going to share that with other people. Um, I can understand that reticence. Although if you start doing workshops, I guess. <laughs> well, don't have to say everything. Do no, you? that's but very I've true. Given, I've given away all of my ingredients, right? Isopropyl, glycerine, mm. knock mm. yourself out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Find everybody should find their own uh, magic solution, right, to these things. Yeah. I think it's it's part of it, isn't it? I mean, also, I think it's it's part of the journey going through all of that leads to an intimacy with the materials that you're using which then mm -hmm. leads to getting the results if somebody just gives you this is the formula to use you you're still not going to get the same results because you haven't built up that relationship you do not understand how they're working in concert together and um how the little changes mm -hmm. so moving on from shells then you went on to anything <laughs> and everything that you could get your hands on um that was left many you. Let's talk about these plates because that's been one of the most fun things that we've seen lately. Uh, plates seem like, uh, with hindsight, what a perfect choice for a photography medium because they're a nice size. <laughs> what what were you, um, for one thing, not all plates are the same. How yeah. was it working with those? Were they easier to work with than the oyster shells? No. <laughs> <laughs> No, um, no, they're horrible. <laughs> it's a stupid thing to want to put a bloody emulsion on. And they, they are, um, first of all, you've got to sub them. 
So we have to sub the shells. So first of all, you have to um, put them in a mixture of uh, chrome alum and gelatin to make, it gives a sort of tooth. So that makes the mm -hmm. emulsion, because if you don't, this is among the most depressing things that could ever happen to you in your life is you, you get, you, you make your lovely print and you get it in the stop and you get it in the fix and, and, and it just looks bloody amazing. And then, cause you've got to wash it for a long time <laughs> and off it comes. Oh. <laughs> you can invent a whole new vocabulary of swearing, believe you, <laughs> especially when you've been doing it or, you know, you it's taken all day to coat the buggers and, or you realize, Oh, I didn't sub, I didn't sub. Oh, I'll just try it. I'll just try it. and you get the best print ever. And you're like, oh, I'm a genius. And you put it in the wash and you turn around and the next thing it's floated down the plug. <laughs> Give me a puppy to cook it. <laughs> but surely, Tina, this is the moment where you go, okay, this is where I grab, uh, I don't know, a glass bowl, get it underneath it, and then you've got it on a glass bowl. On the, I mean... No, I tried that. Um, no, <laughs> I bet you have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> in a sieve. I actually tried in a sieve one time. Oh, and it was horrible. It was just the worst. Um, but yeah, I'm over that now. <laughs> so, so that 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 was also an, also having to do the different layers. Mm -hmm. But the worst is, I, it's not possible to do it in in the winter on on big ceramic plates that need multiple layers, multiple coats on it. Because if I try and heat the room up where I'm drying them, I run the risk of them getting fogged from the heat or fog mm. from light that might come out of the heater. So and when you're putting four, five, six layers of this stuff on and you fog one layer and you've buggered the whole thing up. No, so it's it is a nightmare. And I I just stopped doing it in in, in November because it was just too cold and I'm just mm -hmm. stuck again now. Mm. So well, I, I've been tinkering around a little bit, but not, not, you know, not, I haven't really done an awful lot. So. Yeah. So when, when you've got these plates done, because you've done a lot of those plates, it seems like yeah. you've done a lot of them and you've been the primary model for your photographic work that you put on those. Is that right? Most of no. the ones I've seen. No, no, I just experiment. Well, it, again, it was just another whim thing that I did. I've, I, I, I decided to use um, an analog. I, well, when I was in Berlin, analog now mm. i went to see an exhibition at one of the galleries there and um there was an analog photo booth and i was like oh my god i love this so i took pictures of myself and then i thought oh i'm gonna draw on me so i drew on me and then i thought what are i gonna do with that and then i decided to re-photograph them and print them big on using liquid emulsion and then I started to do it again last January again, just as mm. it all started to go wrong. And I did one strip of me and then I couldn't go in the photo booth again. But as soon as I could, I went down to get another strip of me, but I'd got my mask on that time. <laughs> mm. And I and I do them all like mug shots. So it's looking left, looking right and the back of the head. <laughs> Great. <laughs> and I, I thought, oh, this is kind of cool. I'm going to get my friends to do it. So I kept sending people down. <laughs> but I started off with me because I was the first one. But I've done, I think I've got nine people who sat for me now. Nine people have done it in the photo booth. And I met a really nice guy. Uh, what's his name? Uh, he runs autofocus. Uh, he runs this, he runs photo booths. Raphael. This guy called the Spanish guy called Rafa. Auto photo, he's called on on Instagram. I'll send you a link to his mm -hmm. thing. He'd, he'd done a project where he'd got people to take selfies in the photo booths 
uh, during the COVID times, but a few people had had the masks on, but not as many as the way that I got four images of each person. So we've collaborated a little bit since then, and we're hoping to do a bit more work together. Mm -hmm. But it, mainly they, they started off being of me because I only had one strip. Yeah. But now, like I say, I've got all these others. And if I ever catch you in London near a photo booth, I'll get one. <laughs> if I ever catch you in London, there'll be hell to pay. <laughs> but it, it, it has to be. I, I always set these daft rules. And it has to be an analog photo booth. You can't do it in a digital photo booth. Mm. It must be one of those strips. Mm -hmm. I don't know why. They're great. You, you, if you don't have rules, you have anarchy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which, which is ironic, really, because I feel like anarchy really is more of your happy place to be, Tina. I mean, it, it, all of your work tends towards uh, introducing elements of anarchy and unpredictability. Um, and and this has been a real fun thing that you've been doing since Scar. When did you start um, doing your public good <laughs> or, or, or public vandalism or um, guerrilla galleries or uh, however we want to... Um... Guerrilla galleries, I like that, yeah. There was actually a gallery. Place. Mm, so, clever. Yeah. I'm yeah, the only person using it at the moment, but who knows? <laughs> um, well, I do I do have a bit of a short fuse sometimes. I know this may seem <laughs> quite shocking, but I can just, I get to a point when I just go, oh, fuck this. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I really, really, really wanted to show. And we, we had, there was an opportunity to have a shop that mm. that was being cleared out and we were we were hoping to be able to show work in there and mm -hmm. then we had another lockdown so mm. we could do it um and i was just stumping about down in brick lane which is covered in graffiti that's a shoreditch area of london loads of graffiti i was just cycling about there i don't really know why and i i thought well, to do the plates, oh, by the way, oh no, to go back to the plates, the problem with the plates is that to print on them, to do a proof, once I've done the proof and I've worked out the exposure, then I have to wash the plate off and recoat it and start again. So I started to do proofs on wall tiles. And right. I had this back and forth <laughs> tiles I didn't know anything to do with, and I could just wash them off and start again. But it got to the point, there were so many of them, some of them were really nice, mm. that I was just like, I've got no gallery, I've got nowhere to put them. I'm just going to go and stick them down in Brick Lane. So that's what I did. And then more recently, I've been sticking them in other places. And then I thought, well, it would be nice to, to, to do that with the plates. But the problem with doing it with the plates is I can't really leave them because, I mean, the plates cost money. They're easy to mm -hmm. knit. Yeah. They break easily. So what I did is I took them out, hung them outside galleries, like the V&A, mm -hmm. and, and photographed them. There's, there's my work on, on display at the Royal, the Royal Academy or wherever. <laughs> and then where I can get away with actually sticking the, the tiles, then I stick the tiles. Yeah. And I hope the police aren't listening to this. <sighs> so uh, we should probably talk, uh, like, explain exactly, I mean, although you pretty much just have, but <laughs> this is the work that you were sharing, is these amazing pictures of... Yeah where you had just on the outside of these places just set up an impromptu gallery just put your plates or the tiles all over it and just step back and so how long how long would you hang around for when you did that or was it quick like quick throw it up go down go the first one was very short the first one was about 10 minutes five yeah. ten minutes 
I, I have actually put them up and sort of stood back and seen if people will pay any attention to them. The longest they've been there is about an hour. Mm -hmm. But I do need to be careful. I mean, I did them for about an hour, uh, about half an hour in Hackney, quite in the centre of Hackney, which just can be quite a choppy place. Mm -hmm. But um, it, I, I really like the way that people just completely walk past and just didn't see it at all. Yeah. And then one or two people would and have a look and then just wander off just shaking their heads. <laughs> I really like that. It's very London. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. You have to try hard to be noticed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So but is that your plate? Is that your plates, Tina? That you you put up and then stand back and have yeah. them up for not much more than an hour. What yeah. about the tiles? Do you leave the tiles up permanently, or do you do the same and take them away, or you leave them up permanently? No, they. I get. I've got some bath silicon sealant. Yeah, this was Douglas's idea. So it does the bit. Slap a bit of silicon sealant on the back of one of them, and I tried it on mm. one in the in the uh in the yard here and it's it's still there it's been there for nearly three months now and i've the ones that i have put out in the world there's only one that i can see has been moved and ah. that's because i put it in an area where a lot of fly posters like to post so i okay. chiseled it off but the rest of them are there that's fantastic brilliant. i was gonna say that are they still there Mostly, uh, when i've looked yeah yeah that should be like you should um you should let there's no how many are out there and it could be like a game when you go to London finding Tina's, uh, Tina's got a, tiles and then we <laughs> they've got a what three words reference on the Instagram posts so mm. if you click if you copy their what three words reference and put that into what three words do you know do you know what three words no it's a it's a really amazing mapping tool where they've divided the entire world up into three by three meter grids i think they are mm. and each grid has got three words attached to it like biscuit banana fish bone or something and you just click on and you put that into what three words and it will take you to that 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 space and that's where all my tiles are They if you want to try i will try yeah it's great <laughs> so have you have you actually got i mean we talked before we started about the fact that your website maybe not fully up to date just yet but have you got on your website or what do you have on your website let's say like a, a list of these th three words of where everything is they're on the posts on instagram <laughs> oh the easiest place to find things <laughs> nobody goes to my website they're all on instagram yeah they're, yeah. they're on, on on each one of the ones where there's where i saw them but the the biggest the biggest thing and i'm probably yeah the police will probably be here at any second now <laughs> uh yeah i think i think you're probably their number one priority i would imagine you never know it could be martin compson he might show up with his beard and waistcoat <laughs> <laughs> but um on, on i was looking on i was looking i put one i put some down on the uh by the canal again where there's lots of graffiti mm. and there's actually google maps have been down there with their little car mm -hmm. and they're there! Yes! I'm wow! <laughs> I've arrived! <laughs> I'm as famous as I'm ever going to be. <laughs> I don't think that's true for one second. I do not think Google Maps is going to be the peak of your work. But there's like an interesting point, though. Um, not the Google Maps thing. I mean, this far, that's fun. But in terms of um, getting work out, because this is a conversation we have fairly regularly about mm. how people get their work out there. And there is a um a lot of ways for people that have essentially no gatekeepers on whether it's instagram or Flickr or things like yeah. that you can share your work on for people to see 
Yeah. And increasingly over the years, people have been making more and more zines, which again, anyone can do that. The tools for yeah. doing it have got uh, a lot easier to use and a lot more affordable. Um, but to present your work in a physical and public way, that mm. is still, there's, there's still quite a big barrier there for yeah. people to do that. Um and obviously what you've done with this, well, you've, I think with the, the tiles, you've absolutely just gone, okay, this stuff's here and that's out there for people to see. Um, and with the plates, it's it's been, that's been more of an art installation, a temporary, a very temporary art installation yeah. in its own right. Yeah. But I mean, do you think that this is something that you, if you can find a way to um, remove the worry of lost cost, et cetera, et cetera, would this be a thing you would revisit? I mean, as a way of just like, okay, I just want to get my art out there and get it seen. I mean, if it works for Banksy, and as you said, there's flipping graffiti everywhere. Why not put art? Oh, I, yeah, I love graffiti. I lo I I think graffiti is very interesting. Even even shit graffiti. I I, <laughs> I enjoy. If somebody has gone out of their way to procure some kind of mark making tool mm. made a mark and and i'm i'll applaud that even even if it's because you, you you don't live in london but a few years ago there was this guy who just used to spray tox and then the number of the year so it'd be tox 07 tox <laughs> but there would just be miles of it and it would be along tube stations it would be on walls it was the most unimaginative looking graffiti and it used to piss me off but then i'm going <laughs> to think Hang on, that took balls to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think my favorite. I say my favorite. The one that has forever stuck in my mind, and it's it's a bit smaller scale than that. But I was out for a walk in Whitney, in my local town, and just on a lamppost in in like near some industrial park, it was off the beaten track. Just on this lamppost, somebody had written in thick marker pen, "Mum." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what? What? A hilarious thing to write on a lamppost, "Mum." Yeah. <laughs> what did you do? Just, it's just I love things like that. I really do. I, I, I mean, because it's somebody insisting. What I like about it is somebody is insisting on saying, "I'm here. Pay attention. Mm. To me. I'm here." And I, yeah, you were there. Maybe you're a knob. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm glad you were there. Come yeah. back. <laughs> yeah. That's so, no, good. So do you, but yeah, so to, do you? Can you see yourself doing more of this stuff? I mean, I, like I said, I, with the plates, obviously, it's they're a valuable item that you want to do more with in the future in terms of exhibitions and stuff like that. So you, you don't want to just leave them out there. But are there other things like? I, I, it feels like this, maybe more. I don't know, maybe more so in London. I guess anywhere where you can find somewhere to stick stuff up. But um, it seems like an interesting way for people to just go well my work's out there now um although i suppose if you leave your name on it you might be inviting trouble yeah <laughs> well you go on a podcast yeah yeah exactly just announce <laughs> it the ground. Uh, we, we do forward all of our podcasts onto the met as just like uh, that just just what happens um i yeah i'm going to carry on doing it i i, I will eventually leave a plate leave a couple of plates in places mm. the thing about, but because of the nature of the shape of them and, and because of the rascaliness of, of rascals there, mm. there you know there is a it's like being drawn to sitting at the back of the bus isn't it when you're a teenager there's mm. just well i don't want to throw a stone at it yeah and, 
Yeah. I can't begrudge them that because I've been so much of an egomaniac to say, look at my shit here. Mm. So why wouldn't they comment back at it? You know, it's it's not a bad thing to do. I mean, I, I, I can't imagine it ever getting to the scale of where people, you know, remove whole walls like they do with Banks' stuff. That must actually be quite frustrating for him, actually. It must be even more frustrating for the people whose wall it was. I mean, <laughs> that's the size of my house. This is art now. Um, yeah. Yeah, because it's not the point. No, no. So what's been people's response to the work when you've been showing the pictures on Instagram? Well, the first ones I did, um, I the ones I did done in Shoreditch, I, I tweeted and I cannot believe, I got like 200 likes. I, <coughs> wow. I usually, yeah, I never get likes. I just, because I usually tweet grumpy things about <laughs> <laughs> But you, if I tweet a picture, I might get six likes on a mm. good day. But I got 200 likes and all these people are like, amazing, I'm going to go down and see it. Mm. And it's not there. I feel yeah. terrible. So, um, yeah, I, well, I don't know. <laughs> uh, how, many, how many plates are in your collection, Tina? How many have you um, created? Now I've got, um, I've got the set of Rachel, I've got a set of me, set of Douglas, set of Marcelo, set of um, Raphael. And the set of his daughter, so that's six sets of four. Six sets. Oh, yeah, that's a lot, isn't it? Mm, definitely. Cool. Yeah. Not the lightest things to transport when it does come to doing things, is it? Go, if you go abroad with those, that's going to be quite heavy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think I thought it through, really. <laughs> On the bright side, though, if if between here and wherever they may be going for their travels, they do end up broken then yeah. that probably just makes them even more art, doesn't it, at that point? I mean, exploded portraits. Um, yeah. I mean, also, that's just the greatest thing. If you ever have one of your days when you're just really feeling quite pissed off with the world, just line them up, <laughs> get some rocks. Like, right, let's double down on the art. Let's, Because <laughs> um, you can just smash the pieces and make jigsaws out of them. And then... That's true. That's true. Well, because you find a lot of things on the street around here and mm. lots of plates and things on the street. And, and those I had, one or two I did smash up, but I smashed up first and then realised afterwards I should have smashed them up after I printed on them. Mm. Because it's, you because it, once they're smashed up, they're really sharp. Mm. <laughs> yeah. You could make um, a really good mix and match, couldn't you? Just like smash mm. them together. And you've got uh, those different people just like, they probably wouldn't appreciate that. It's probably not going to end up with beautiful results. But um, mm. so as, with you also, isn't it? I, I like the process of what is the mudlarking. Yeah, mudlarking, so, you know, and the, for, for listeners, there's a nice picture, isn't there, on your website of the shells and the stuff that you've collected from the, oh. the tenants. It's a nice process to do that and then go and print on on them. What's the most interesting thing you've pulled from the, or intriguing thing you've pulled from the tents? Well, <laughs> dead body. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, Old really, and I'm historic. in the minutiae, just the little, the little things, the little clues about stuff. And mm. I showed them to the Museum of London and they were interested. They invited me because mm. they had loads of old oyster shells that they didn't know what to do with. But that that sort of that leader sort of died. I, I should follow that one up. But I got a tour of of their archive of, of just stuff that isn't on display there. And they showed a load of um, things that had been pulled out of the out of the, the Thames. And one of them was a, a thing called a red whelk, 
and a red whelk is poisonous mm. so if you eat one of those you could end up being quite poorly the thing is that the red whelk would have come with the oyster shells now anybody that was picking oyster shells would normally not have picked up a red whelk Mm. So you've got to ask the question is, why would somebody have bought a poisonous shellfish into London to sell? And who would have bought it? Mm. I know it's not, it's not like a, a Victorian condom case <laughs> <laughs> or a gun, but it, it's quite a poser, isn't it? Like, why? Yeah, yeah. What's that, what's that doing there? Mm. Mm. <laughs> So, There's an intriguing story there. <laughs> that one, yeah. yeah. I don't know if I could print on it. <laughs> <laughs> so what, I mean, what are you looking, are you, do you have something you're working towards now that you're actively experimenting with printing on? Are you, what's the next phase with this? Or, or are you taking a break from liquid emulsion? Nah. <laughs> I've got loads. There's got still loads. a lot more weird things you haven't yet printed on, I'm guessing. There is that, and there's also the simple fact that it lifts, and because you can lift with it, I've I've been doing some experiments with it, and be, because with the lift, you need to leave it in the developer for a long time, which starts to mess with the emulsion, pulls the emulsion up, you get lovely filigree bits, you can't print the same thing twice, it, it's, it's really beginning to really pull my chain so mm. i did um i did a big plate um a couple of months ago with a picture of douglas in his douglas is my studio mate in mm. his mask and it's it's a very big it's a meat platter but i put the i had the emulsion dripping all over the place and i put it on really thinly and it makes this amazing ghostly image and now i've got to work out how the fuck i did it so i can do it <laughs> <laughs> and also find a great source of meat plates <laughs> Car boots are good for those. Are they? Those big beak platter, you know, those big old yeah. big things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Don't go to eBay because they all think that they're worth a bazillion pounds and they'll try and charge you like 15 quid for a pile of shite. <laughs> <laughs> so, can you do this on metal plates as well? You can do it on anything. As long as you, you what was the word you used? As long as you substrate it? Sub, sub it. Sub, sub it. it. It's called subbing. And what that is, is you're putting on a layer of it's. it's a mixture of um gelatin and chrome alum mm -hmm. and it's a very weak mixture and you just you just sort of like pour it on the plate and pour pull the, the extra off and um let it dry and that will give it tooth that will mm. mean the emulsion can stick and are you then varnishing these things once they're finished to protect them or do they just stay as they are no <laughs> I'm very keen on making people responsible for their own actions. <laughs> I went to all this trouble. You should have gone to a bit more bloody trouble. <laughs> no, that, that's, I, I listen, I'm with you there. So have you, I mean, with stuff like this, with, with the shells, with this, are you selling these? Will you sell these? Can people buy them? They do sell. Yeah. Yeah. I've, yeah. I, I, I've been, I've I bought I've been able to keep myself in tobacco this year. <laughs> oh well, thank goodness, dear. It's very important. If I was just spending a year busy dodging, busy dodging a potentially lung ruining illness, that you're meanwhile feeding another one. Good work. <laughs> no, it's it's I have sold them. Yeah, they're they're very popular. And because I print other things, I've printed 
I lived in Krakow for a long time in the early 90s and I, I've got lots of moody photographs of the the old buildings in Krakow looking very beautiful in the winter mm. and I put them on shelves and people are like, oh, that's really weird. And and then they give me money. Yeah. I'm keen on that. <laughs> I think owing to the uniqueness of a lot of your work in the way that you print it, I remember last time you were on, we talked about the work that you'd done uh, I can't remember which country it was in, but it's when you we had been away on a residency in Eastern Europe somewhere. Estonia. Estonia. Estonia, thank you. I'm glad I did not guess because Estonia would have been so far down the list of countries <laughs> I was guessing. Um, but you made cyanotypes and using these beautiful books and cut them out. And they're just mm. lovely objects that I think mm. the way that you present stuff, that with the shelves of the place, is so instantly engaging, oh, more so than I, I think... Then you know they're they're already grabbing your attention because of the physical object before you even start engaging with the beautiful print that's part of it, um, and um, so I can see why they do well because I think it's difficult when you're, uh, as I'm sure you both both of you have, with regards to just making straight art, making prints, be it Polaroids or lith prints or whatever it might be. Selling prints is difficult. I think it seems like. Um, getting people's attention in a very crowded market is hard. Um, yeah. I mean, Claire, do you you sell your work as well, don't you, Claire? Yeah, um, I don't sell a lot, but I do sell some. Yeah, through um, through some on yeah through Instant Dreams Gallery, Stephanie's Gallery. Yeah, but I don't sell a lot. Yeah. It's difficult, isn't it? It's just I think when you're. <laughs> There's, there's so many people out there that it's not a case of whether your work is good enough. It's just a signal to noise ratio. There's so many other people out there that yeah. um, you you have to get people's eyes on your work when those eyes aren't tired at looking at a million other prints. And yours might be the best ones they've seen all day, but if they've just seen a lot, I, I, small mm -hmm. prints. I don't care. But when it's something different, when it's yeah. something they've not seen before, uh, I think that's instantly eye-catching. Um so, so yeah, so more liquid emulsion stuff going forwards then, Tina. More big, yeah. more big plates. <coughs> well, I did. I actually sold a couple of big plates as well. Um, yeah, I've got very interested again on. I've got I've got a box of glass paints, and I did some. I used them on one of my images to add color to it. Mm. It was um, it was a photo booth image that I I drew on re-photographed, printed, and then added the colour from the glass the glass paints. But I also found some colour photograph retouching inks in the dark room and I've mm. come up with them and I've been using them. Um, so it's getting less and less like photography and more and more like, I don't know what, more drawing-y, I mm. suppose. But, yeah, that's that's I guess that's what really interests me. It feels like when you can, when you can put that medium onto almost anything, right. the potential yeah. that is limitless. It is like, well, okay, well, where where does my desire and mm. my inventiveness take me? And uh, it doesn't seem like there's going to be any end to that for you. Uh, has it eaten into time? Because when we spoke last time, um, your pinhole work was something that you spent a lot of time on you you've done all sorts of fun projects with pinhole is that something you're still engaged with or is that taking a bit of a, a back step now 
that I was really doing, I was doing some quite nice stuff at the start of 2019 um, that I went to this children's play. <laughs> Just God, I think about what I do. I went to this children's playground first thing in the morning, really early in the morning and took my pinhole camera and just played on all of the children's things like there's a mm -hmm. zip wire and there's swings and a roundabout and i had um torches mm -hmm. and and i just made these patterns using the children's roundabout gubbins i've got a, one really nice shot where i was on a swing just set it up in front of me in front of these two swings and just swung on one of them and turned the torch on and off as I went backwards and forwards and it really looks it looks like there's this really bonkers explosion coming out of this this thing in a completely normal prosaic sort of children's playground it's just very very odd and it's mm -hmm. the sun is coming up and I was going to do more of those and then I just got completely mm -hmm. sidetracked <laughs> <laughs> Is that a photograph, um, Tina? For listeners, I, I'm on your. I can see your website. Is that in the? Is that image in the um, the project? The mark making in public places. Yes, it is. It's, yeah, it's yeah. great that. Because <laughs> when I saw it, when because I don't know what it's going to look like, <laughs> I'm just like, oh, I like that. And so I yeah, went. No, it is. It's, it's It is intriguing. Um, it's definitely intriguing. Yeah. I should. I want to do more of those, but it is. Oh, it, yeah. The, the the whole lockdown has meant that playgrounds are very full a lot of the day. And yeah. I, I really don't want to be hanging around because it looks suspicious, even though I'm... <laughs> <laughs> it does look odd, this old little old bag is wandering around taking pictures of herself with a strange box thing. <laughs> there's, one, there's one image, Tina, that I'm looking at. It's really great. It's like a swing, and then there must have been where you had you, you had your your torch. Is it? Yeah. It's like it's yeah, fascinating. It's a lovely atmosphere as well. Yeah, that was very like, early was, in the morning. Yeah, yeah, really nice. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I like doing those. I did. I did a few. I did one um, in um, Islington, which is quite a busy part of mm. uh, the area near where I live, and I did it just by a bus stop just walking, walking in between these two pillars by this bus stop with his torch and there's people there were loads of people walking around then because you can't see them because it was a 15 minute exposure yeah. what on earth are you doing <laughs> <laughs> i'm asking I, yeah i like i'm just I, actually i'm looking at that image now Tina. yeah but these are great it's a great series <laughs> what, um, I, what i really like about this this mark making images because uh Mm. pinhole photography um i think is it's a really fun medium um but also it can be quite it can be quite staged you can see a lot of very similar stuff and mm. um and, and i know that one of the problems i have with it is finding ways to use the features of pinhole photography to create something special with it whether it be that incredible depth of field or the length of time that the exposures last for and um and that's why when you see pinhole done well really leaning into the the, the values that it can bring um it's amazing because nothing else can do it and that's in these pictures that you've done these mark making in public pictures because they're quite subtle all of them are quite subtle well the swing one is probably the least subtle one just because that's that as you said is, is most popping but in most of them you 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 kind of look twice and, and then you suddenly find there's these ghostly but very clearly deliberate marks 
just in mm. space there that you've left in what otherwise fairly mundane scene it's like here's a mundane scene that you would you know it's a building front it's a bus stop it's whatever it might be but there's just something about it it's just you look and go why is that there why and, it, and i think it's that combination of the two things that uh, um it it really makes the most of the medium i, I think they're really fun really fascinating and um you must need I, I suppose it's difficult to tell because in the pictures it looks like you're taking them in in daylight um i don't know is it in daylight when you're doing this so you must have oh, yeah. a fairly whacking torch to be able to make enough yeah. light to yeah. blind passers-by and uh <laughs> well I, I started off with using the torch on my phone but then I found then I found a little hardware store that just had like a whole rack of different torches so I just bought as many of them as I could afford to buy them by the bag full mm. and I, so I've got torches that are like the ones that you use for looking under cars and things that are a load of LEDs I've got quite faint ones, but I've got this one torch that is extremely bright. And mm. it's it's less troublesome in the daytime for people who are walking about. It's a little bit intrusive, but it's like a phone light, somebody mm. having their phone light on. But there, but it's also, I can focus it as well. So I can really, really, really make the, the light quite a point. Yeah. So I can actually, almost like different kinds of brush strokes with different mm. kinds of pencil But I like, again, it's, yeah, it's, it, it's necessary to do it in the daytime because there is this a lot of the time when people talk about light painting and I don't want it to be seen as light painting yeah. that's usually done at night that's usually done in the dark and and I don't want it to be seen as that I want I want it to be about something extraordinary yeah happening in in the world because actually the world's quite extraordinary anyway but and mm. it, I, I think it also makes then people, not just look at the lines, but also at the static things that remain there. Yeah. And look harder. And that's the purpose of it, I guess. <laughs> when you're well, doing work... both like it. <laughs> is it, from the point of view of somebody who, you know, your work goes into exhibitions, goes to galleries, you take part in stuff, um, yeah. is it with stuff like this when because the, the format these are these are color um and they look like what six by 17 pictures yeah yeah um does that limit what you feel like you're able to do with them afterwards in terms of printmaking and stuff like that do you find okay the, there's only so much i can do with this i can make a whopping great big print of some sort um but that's about it you're not going to be putting these i suppose you could put it onto a very long meat dish um somehow <laughs> but a spaghetti dish is that a thing <laughs> yes Miguel. oh the spaghetti <laughs> you pr print on the, oh my god yes print on spaghetti and just say like you may need to organize these into making some sort of coherent picture but that's on you again i can't do all the work here <laughs> I'm going. I'm going. I'm going to the dark room right now. Um, no, I yeah. Um, those those I think. Well, I print them on different kinds of paper. I'm 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 very interested in the different ways that papers behave. So not the mark making in public places, but when I showed the my mother's house pictures mm. at the Revelatee about three years ago, four years ago, what I did is I printed them on layout paper, which is really cheap really shit paper that well it's not it's not shit because it's acid free but it's it's layout paper that you can sort of see through but i inkjet printed them and i 
glued A3 sheets together to make these big panels with them. And initially there was a lot of, oh, it's a digital photograph and it's on rubbish paper, why have you done it? But I wanted them to hang off the wall so they would move mm. in the air. So, because again, a lot of the work that I make is, it, well, all of the work I make is about it making you also acknowledge the substrate because because it is on something it's not just suspended it's not just come out fallen out of the sky <laughs> there's stuff gone on so i still do engage a lot with uh different kinds of papers i've been using a lot of japanese tosa washi paper the prints i print on that i know <laughs> chinese yeah if it's weird <laughs> I'll do it that's pretty fun so, though yeah, but I mean, because I, I don't, I don't like you said. I don't want to just make a big print. Mm. I want to make a print on something that makes you also think about what it's printed on. Yeah, because it's it's not it's not the truth. It's you're not looking out of a window. You're looking at a print. So why not be aware of the fact that it's printed on something and somebody made that? Mm. Yeah, as well. So. Yeah. No, absolutely. It. Um given how much time people you know photographers spend on their hobby and they spend taking pictures and creating these things um cool. it does feel like that is a largely unexplored area of looking at alternative ways of their work yeah. being presented at the end um i mean that's, i suppose there's more choice now than there was you can have it on a canvas or a aluminium thing or any number of these yeah, stuff like that but um but the, as you've shown there's there's a lot more beyond that and um whilst liquid emotion liquid emotion sounds from what you said like one of those one of those pools of interest that can be as deep as you want it to be if you want to engage with it in a fairly straightforward way i think i've seen some i think um Lena Bestanova has been doing some um, videos lately. I, I, I think um, of a new liquid emotion that's come out from. Um, oh God, I'm gonna forget which the company it is. Um, anyway, anyway, the one which Lena's involved with. Apologies to Lena. Um, showing just making prints using liquid emotion on um, bags and stuff like that. You know, nice fun stuff. Going, look, you can make a print onto a bag or onto a t-shirt or onto a hoodie, mm -hmm. stuff like that. Um, yeah. But as you've discussed there's also an awful lot more you can do with it that might not be quite so straightforward but it's just how much time energy and effort do you want to put into it i think it's really i think liquid emotion seems like a thing that is hopefully going to become more and more popular because i hope so yeah, yeah. Uh, what are there any things in your experience that you have just despite best efforts utterly failed to print on or would say look don't even don't even try with this it is not worth it um <laughs> no i think you can try with most things but this happens every year or so somebody in the cyanotype group on facebook will do a cyanotype on their hand or their arm or their butt or something <laughs> Um, there is, there is the, and then there is this furious response, uh -huh. which is, "Are you fucking mad?" Because it's it is poison. Yeah, <laughs> but it's only a little bit, right? Yeah, but where are you going to draw the line? I mean, I, I ended up saying this, which yeah, which, well, are you going to do it with a Van Dyke? Are you going to put silver nitrate on mm. your arm? Are you going to, you know, it's 
there, there is a degree of of daftness mm. that you can do. So, I mean, I, I don't draw the line on most things, but I think I draw the line on anything that's living and breathing. Yeah. Okay. Mm. So we're not going to be. So, uh, could you um, anthotype a dog though? No. <laughs> Please anthotype. You, you would not get a dog to stay still long enough. All right, so we might have to sedate the dog. I can see that there's going to be some issues with this. <laughs> no, I wouldn't antitype a dog. I would might antitype a rat, but that's because of <laughs> a no, living I'm, or dead rat. Yeah, I think I think I draw the line with anything that's alive, and I mean plants as well. Actually, mm. there is not not because I have any particular grave, you know, concerns about the the inner lives of roses or anything like that. I just think that that's in terms of the chemical processes themselves i think you do need what well, i need other people if you want to print on your forehead that's up to you but <laughs> i i think that that the chemical processes themselves also interfere with the life of the object mm. that you and i think you need one thing in the well, i need something in the whole process that's stable <laughs> <laughs> Just that one thing. You need that one touch touchstone to reassure yourself. Yeah, at least one thing that isn't going to get a horrible skin rash or mm. just turn to sludge. It's interesting because <laughs> this is a thing that I've thought about in the past with plants because obviously plants are light sensitive. I mean, that's that's how they work. Um, yeah. And plants kept in darkness will turn yellow because they've not got light. And I just think if you had a plant with a big enough leaf and you could find some way of just fixing a negative onto it and leaving that for a while i wonder if you get i wonder if you could like literally get a print on a plant leaf i'm sure somebody must have tried that before but i reckon if someone Almodena, was Almodena romero does that oh really so there you go. There's no idea so insane that somebody in this community isn't already doing it. So, so what is, is he doing? Literally, that idea of just making the plant leaves prints. She, 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 she. I, ah, I don't. I don't know for sure. I know that she has been doing something quite groovy with plants and, and plant leaves and That's things. That's awesome. Yeah, I'll send you. Well, I don't. I don't know if I. I you can. I'll send you her name and you can find that would be name. great I, I will hunt it down no that would be <laughs> awesome i love that because it's one of those things i've heard that's really cool i'm never going to do that myself i would love to see somebody else doing it <laughs> sounds magic so what are your plans to you know you're you're in this art space the year looks as though it's starting to ease up and we can start looking forwards more now do you have plans? Are you starting to ferment plans? Um, does the E5 Collective have plans? Are you, mm. you mentioned about workshops and stuff like that when things start going again, but where are things looking for you at the moment? Well, uh, last year I was supposed to go to Somaliland and um, do a project with uh, a, a Somali archaeologist. And the project was so cool because it was, because I'm, like half Somalia, transracially adopted, no bugger all about Somalia. And I contacted, I I saw her doing a TED talk about two years ago on, on the internet. And mm. I was so impressed with her TED talk. I thought, I'm going to send her an email. And I was just, so I wrote this sort of fangirl email and explained a bit about me. And I got the, this beautiful email back and we've been working together ever since. Mm. She's, she's just marvellous. And I was always saying, I don't understand about, 
I'd love to know more about Somali, but I don't know where to start. And and she wanted me to be involved in a project in Somalia. And we, we sort of cooked up something where I can go and teach some of my photo skills to some of the students there. And they can teach me to be a Somali. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> or at least a little bit about it. So yeah. hopefully we will be going over there to do that. Um, not just to do that, for me to help with the project in photography mm. for her as well. And as well, I got a bit of funding for my project, other project about transracial adoptee portraits. So it's portraits of other transracial adoptees. So I'm concentrating on those two things. Mm. And I've done a lot of writing and research last mm. year, and it was all got a bit academic and depressing. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> so I won't do that. So that's another plan. No more writing. <laughs> <laughs> was, it, was the research and writing about transracial adoptees or your yeah yeah mm. i can see how that could get depressing quite oh, quickly was it not all a barrel of laughs and everybody had a great time that's weird i know <laughs> it was yeah it's 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 very strange actually reading about your life experience written by somebody who doesn't have it have it who's like a professional sociologist mm. it's just very weird that you read when they when they write about all these particular behaviors that this particular cohort have and and it there you are you're described next to this what about the things that mm. make me happy the things that make me sad you know yeah. it, it, it's mm. weird it, yeah what yeah. Can you do? it's whole... like in some respects it's a bit like the, the whole COVID thing you know when they talk about deaths and and people in hospital and ill it, mm. it's not the same as when somebody you know yeah is taken ill somebody that i've worked with a little bit did actually die from covid and 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 it, it just took on a whole different complexion once once that had happened yeah yeah as you said when it's numbers yeah we can all just statistics okay well we'll just yeah but the yeah. moment it's a story yeah. human beings are hardwired to just react very differently to a story um yeah. which yeah. is great but also uh, people know this which is why we all get our buttons pushed all the time by the government by media by all of this stuff and you're kind of like, okay but um yeah i can yeah. imagine that both with the research into the transracial adoption stuff and this project for somalia like god massive massive um explorations of identity mm. going forwards with that man i can't i mean i just can't imagine as a corn-fed white english bloke it's like you know i i have no um mm. uh no touchstone to kind of get into that but for like that must be <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be an adventure tina it's gonna be a real adventure yeah I'm very excited about that. That's awesome. So lots of well, lots of fun life stuff going up, which I have no doubt will lead to, well, who knows what. I mean, that's the lovely thing we're talking to you. You just never know mm. what is going to be the output from it because it could be absolutely anything. Um, <laughs> You'll have to come back on and tell us, Tina. <laughs> I'd love to. I'd, love yeah. to. I'd like to see your Polaroids as well, your Polaroid work. Is that all on your Instagram? Yeah, it's on Instagram. I'm gonna go and dig around on that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I, and I sincerely hope that when when the workshops do get, I mean, I said we we had hoped uh, as a as a as a Sunny Sixteen collective, we'd hoped to be able to get down and see all you guys last year, and I hope that mm -hmm. we can make that happen this year. And um, I think Claire, oh, you yeah. definitely because Claire loves the art processes as much as anybody does. So um, 
yeah that would be wonderful well you'd be really really welcome it? that'd be great yeah. and then we'll uh, go go searching for the tiles as well yes <laughs> I, I think that just needs to be a thing i think like i said i think you need to have a list on your website so that it can become one of those things like what to do when in london well you need to find all these tiles the tiles um, yeah. just needs to be what it needs to be in the official uh guide to london i'm sure that's the yeah. thing <laughs> what to do what's on well tina it's been an absolute delight getting to talk to you again it really has and it's i always love hearing what you've been up to um thank you very much and i'm excited lovely, about you coming up lovely to see you at last and lovely I to know. meet you there. and you too yeah tina it's been really nice listening to you so for anybody who wants to go and look at all the stuff we've been talking mm. about where's the best place to go instagram yeah tina row 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 on instagram and then there's a link to my website on there so. And remind me, Tina, because it's been a while since I've looked at what you is it row? Um, I know your name is Row with an E, but on Instagram, is it just Row 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 without an E on it? Yeah, it's Tina R O R O R O. There you go. <laughs> I'm glad glad we clarified. <laughs> um, or on Twitter, you're at. Um, oh, yeah, don't no, don't 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 Twitter. <laughs> you're at Mrs. Yeah, angry yeah, about something yeah. or other. <laughs> <laughs> well we'll put links to that and we'll put links to the um as the e5 collective it's got that's got its own instagram feed as well i think e5 process e5 process so we'll put all yeah. that in there yeah. um and we'll hopefully look forward to speaking to you again much okay. sooner next time and uh, as I, I sincerely hope that we can do what we planned to do last year which is just get together and record something together in person down in london that's the that's be the dream that would be so wonderful um, Claire, do you want to give a quick shout out to who we've got coming on next week and just maybe prep people because I know there's a bit of a time relevant issue. Yes, there. we've got the um, the organisers of the um, experimental festival in uh, Barcelona. So that's uh, Pablo and Laura are, com are coming on to, to tell you all about it and uh, how you can si sign up for it and so on. So, yeah, that'd be good to hear from them. And if people, are, do you want to give a quick shout out to where people should go if they are interested in signing up for it? Because you know, we'll talk about it next week. But um, if people want to get a bit of a head start on that, where do you know where people should be going? <laughs> I just asked this question uh, out of blue. It would be if you googled um, experimental. <laughs> just Google it, you lazy people. Expo twenty one. <laughs> um you'll see the website there and they've got an Instagram account, but I couldn't. Um, it's Expo twenty one um, on Instagram. We'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll put a link in the show notes. That's awesome. Really looking forward to that. Well, thank you very much, everybody, for listening, for tuning in this week. We will play you out, as always, with Rachel's fabulous band, Roja. Um, uh, just a quick heads up, Rachel is doing f I know she hasn't been on again for ages, but she's doing fine for a given value of fine whilst pregnant. She's having a pretty rough time of it, but... She's doing okay. She's just, mm. it's not a barrel laugh for at the moment, bless her. But all is going well on the baby front. So just thought I'd check out with that. And uh, we will be back next week with um, what Claire just said. That's fun. <laughs> <laughs> Until then, <laughs> thanks for tuning in, everybody, and goodbye. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Oh, 
hang on listeners before you go here's the thing that i forgot to bring up during the podcast recording so i'm still here uh claire's still here say hello i'm still claire. here yeah uh, tina's <laughs> gone now so it's just the two of us but just wanted to draw your attention to um if you haven't checked out sunny 16 presents recently you really should because over the last few weeks we put out a slew of great stuff over there um mm. we've just put out the most recent episode of i dream of cameras that's episode number nine that's just gone out uh yesterday um and over the weekend we put out your most recent show claire which was a wonderful mm. conversation <laughs> with the and i say this word without hyperbole legend that is brian griffin who yeah, we spoke to definitely. on definitely uh tell us a quick bit about this conversation claire um well the conversation is brian of course is um he's well known for his phot photographic work but brian also made films um some short films and some music videos so i thought it'd be interesting to talk to brian um about them um and about his ideas and you know the process and and lots and lots of other stuff so yeah so it's a it's a good um hour and a half of a, a really fascinating conversation um listening to listening to brian's wonderful stories yeah i mean and that's the thing the stories that this man has are um occasionally insane um but always worth hearing brian is a incredible mm. guy and I found it fascinating just just the journey because essentially when we spoke to him back in October, November, whenever the heck it was, um, we, we were talking largely about his work through the 70s and 80s up till the end of the 80s when he was kind of on top of the world. He was photographer of the decade and all that stuff. And Claire's conversation with him followed pretty much directly mm -hmm. on from that. Mm -hmm. And it was really e interesting to see where that went and and brian talks incredibly candidly about all of this stuff um it's a really interesting lesson um i said it, i just cannot recommend it highly enough if you've enjoyed listening to brian on the podcast back in november please do go and check it out and also do check out uh, i dream of cameras if you aren't already mm. it's great jeff and gabe are fabulous and we've recently had the podcast with john michael mendeza talking about shooting um doing a model shoot on film loads of great stuff on there and also loads of great stuff going back uh, for several months now and more stuff to come so we just wanted to touch on that quickly point you in that direction mm. all right thanks listeners bye again <laughs> 